Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life for Abena podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. We pray that this message is a blessing. Well, good morning. My name is Daniel. For those that I have not met um, personally, I've been part of this church for about uh, nine years and call New Life home. I also serve on the, the council um, that, that's part of this church as well and um, looks after and, and uh, is the, the governing body of this church. It's my privilege this morning to talk to you um, about the theme of love. And we've heard a bit of that. We've seen the expression of love this morning in terms of caring for others, in terms of our missions. We've talked about the ultimate sacrifice of love, which is the Anzac service of giving our our life for somebody else. And so it's in that frame that I want to talk about love, but not just any kind of love, perfect love. And that perfect love, as John tells us, casts out all fear. Let's pray as we prepare ourselves. Father God, we just thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word. Father, we just ask this morning it would go beyond our heads and impact our hearts. Father, with your Holy Spirit, work in us. Give us ears to hear. Give us a softness of hearts to receive that we might be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was love that inspired me to go to my son's graduation from junior school. And you went, well, that really doesn't give you a big tick to say love got you there. Well, my job is that I oversee about 200 schools across Australia and I go to school events every day, multiple times a day, every week, and I have done so for many years. So then to go to an event, and I love it when you go to a graduation and they say, parents, please come, we've put it on right in the middle of the day. Okay, you're there. And so as I rushed in, part from, from my day job to go to my son's graduation, who I love, and so I wanted to be there for him, I'm screaming into the car park and I'm catching eyes of other parents who are racing from other jobs to be there as well. And we're all giving each other that knowing eye to say, look, we're glad, we, we, we finally made it together, we've, we've achieved it. My wife, she's brilliant, she texts me to say, I've saved you a seat. It's about three quarters of the way up the back of the auditorium. We're on the left-hand side, use the other door on that, the far side, and I've saved you a seat right on the aisle so you can just slip on in when you get here. Perfect. So I race into the auditorium and I plonk myself in the seat just as the presenter, who I think was the head of junior school, hopped up onto the, to the uh, stage to present. And then I had this realisation. I couldn't see his face because I didn't bring my glasses that were still sitting in the car. And I thought, oh, no. If I can't see his face, how am I going to be able to see the face of the children, and in particular, my son, Oliver? But never fear, because as the children went onto the stage, this happened. No, they didn't wait a long time. All the phones went up and people were now filming their own children. And to my great delight, the man in front of me held his camera at exactly the right space for me to be able to see the platform with absolute clarity. (laughs) The only problem was he wanted to focus on his child and I had to keep moving his hand across to my child (laughs) all through the program. We became close friends. And it is funny because for many of us, technology or our phones have become the lens through which we've seen the world. 
We've seen let these other things give us a perspective on the world to tell us the reality of the world. And in a sense, we're seeing the world through somebody else's phone or piece of technology or viewpoint or attitude or perspective. And when we do that, it is actually called a worldview. A worldview gives an understanding of the things that are before us, sometimes very complex. But a worldview presents things to us such as, what is the meaning of everything? Who am I? Why am I here? My purpose. What happens when I die? My destiny. And how shall I live the morality by my life? In today's world, for many of us, our phones are the campfires by which we hear and tell our stories. And let me tell you that that campfire can often be, for many of us, a very toxic, time-consuming, distorting way to view the world. Many of us can feel bad and say, well, you know, it's the 21st century, this is our burden to, cover, to carry. But that burden about how we see the world is a burden that has been since people even started to reflect or to tell stories for thousands of years. And today's passage comes from a book called First John. Now, First John's an interesting one because this is actually written to Christians. This is not a book to unbelievers. It's for people who have been in the church, people who may have even been around when Jesus had lived and died and was resurrected again. And this is a group of people who are doing life together as Christians, living out their Christian journey. And John writes this letter because their perspective has got a bit distorted. Now, this is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, so he knows the story well. He knows it even better because of the fact is that he is actually a relative of, of uh, Jesus. He also writes to these letters and he's also the writer of the book of Revelation. What happens at the end of the story? So here is John writing to the church who is probably 30 years into living out their Christian journey as a body of believers and he says, I think your perspective is a little wrong. The stories you are telling of yourself and of about Jesus have tilted a little bit and this is having a profound impact. And the story that they got hung up on was the question around, did Jesus actually die with, as God? Or was it that the Holy Spirit came into Jesus when he was baptised by John the Baptist and then left him just before he went onto the cross? And he said, that view, if you don't understand that Jesus, as God, lived a life we couldn't live, died upon a cross to pay for a sin that we could never pay, and is resurrected again that we may have eternal life, your whole view of the world and of yourself is broken. And he's challenging Christian people that their perspective on their faith is causing them some problems. So we read here in John this passage. And so we'll go through and we'll have a read of it. It says, on denying the, the incarnation, dear friends, I like John, he's like a, your favourite uncle. He says, dear friends, dear brothers, he's, he's a sweetheart. And you'll see it, he says it a few times in here as we go through. So see it is that posture, he's somebody who cares and who loves us. Dear friends, 
Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God, because many fake prophets have gone out into the world. Our next slide. Thanks, guys. This is how you can recognise the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, even now is already in the world. And there is a challenge, because what he's saying is that the stories that we hear, the stories that we may tell ourselves, or the stories that are given to us, have a storyteller. There is somebody behind the story that is there. And in modern society, that storyteller could be a marketing company. It could be somebody who just has that view on, on the world on Facebook. It could be that relative who rings you constantly. It could be somebody that you work with. And even John says, it could be somebody you least expect and least want speaking into your world. Today, I would say to you that the there is a viewpoint that is dominating our worldview. When you turn on your TV, when you go to the movies, when you open up your apps, there is a very clear worldview that is being presented to you. It is hard to escape because it is everywhere, on the radio, on the TV, on signs, on buses, in songs, it pervades everything. And for the Christian, we are told to have a different story. But this is a story that comes forward, that it is about me. The truth is relative. You do you. That consuming is good. He who dies with the most toys wins. That how you look and appear is good. It is everything and that we craft and we make these digital images of our life. I heard a blessing that, uh, that for in a church the other day and it was fantastic. And it was like this, it says, I wish you the life that you, that you have created for yourself on Facebook. <laughs> wow, what is this, this external image and view of ourselves? And often it is about that government, they should be doing something about this problem. And this is a very external view of the world. Everything is about the external. Everything is about the appearance. Everything is about what is seen or felt or consumed. Um, and that is, a, a, that is a, a problematic way to go into the world because we're asked to be in that world, but not of that world. And John goes back to these believers. Now, many of them before they came to Christianity would have been Jewish people. And so they had an understanding of God. The understanding they had of God was that of one who was a protector because the world that they were being bombarded with was a savage world, was a world where kings and rulers would try and come through and take over their land. They would, they would go and try and get uh, travel. They'd get mugged on the road. There would be thieves and there'd be a whole range of things. And so their view, the world that was batting against them was a one that was of danger and difficulty. And so the way that they saw God was in this protector, this stronghold, this refuge, this hiding place, this rock of ages we just sang about in terms of a place to go to. But very much for them, this God as well was quite external, was the God who stepped in 
and, and got them out of their present difficulties and problems. But this is still an external thing. God, I am worried about my safety. God, I'm worried about the provision. Can you step into this space? Still a very external view of the world. But there's a challenge in this that God, it's not just about God with us. It's actually about an internal struggle that we're having. If we only worry about the externals, it's half the story. There is an internal. And what John is really getting at in his whole letter is the fact that the biggest fears we have, more often than not, are internal ones, not external ones. Don't get me wrong, the external ones can be pretty scary, but they are well and truly trumped by the internal ones that we have. The external fears that we have could be public, speaking in public, heights, bugs, blood, weather, death, but they're not really the big ones. Because in a sense, part of the journey as a Christian is knowing the fact that, that our eternity is secure, that God is with us. And so we can live a life in that knowledge and that life can be quite safe and quite secure knowing that God is there. Let me give you an example of that external knowledge of knowing God. Let me show you a picture, this will help. I worked in Berlin for um, uh, a couple of years with my wife, Tanya, and um, the way we got to work each morning was by, with a bus. And the bus would pick us up outside of our apartment, drives all the way about 45 minutes to work. Um, and the buses are a very regulated system. You hop on a bus like a train. All the rumours around, are Germans on time? Yes, they are. And so you get on the bus, you tap your card, you sit down, you take a seat, and it's all good. One day we were riding home, we were just about to stop away from home, and this old man gets onto the bus. He's out the front, he's got an American accent, he's speaking, he's quite animated around what is taking place, and I work out from listening to him that he is lost. He doesn't know where he is, he's, he's on the bus. Unfortunately for him, the German bus driver did not speak a word of English. He's saying, I'm lost, can you give me some directions? I don't know where my hotel is. The bus driver is saying, uh, sorry buddy, either tap on the bus or get off the bus. You've got two options here, you know, um, in terms of what's taking place. Knowing that there was a level of frustration, not only from the bus driver, but the rest of the passengers as well, because we are now no longer on time. I went to the front, I said to Tanya, take my briefcase, take that home, I'll go and um, grab this guy and see if I can help him. So we dash off the front of the bus and I say to this man, look sir, um, they, they're getting a bit frustrated they, you know, with, with their, their bus being held up, but I can speak English and I'm, I live in Berlin and I can help you. He said, oh, that's great. He said, I flew in this morning, I've flown all the way through the night from America um, and I decided to get out of my hotel room and go for a walk, stretch my legs, see a little bit of the city and I've been walking for hours and I don't know where my hotel is. I said to him, well, do you have the key? Yeah, I've got the key. It gives me the key. It's just got a room number on it, no name. Oh, okay. I said, do you remember anything about where you were walking when you went out? He said, yes, yes. He said, right where I am, that, like, the buildings around me were five storeys high and the bottom level were all shops. <laughs> Welcome to Europe. And that was all he had. And I said, well, look, let's think this through. Let's go to a nearest hotel. I know there's one nearby. They have a map usually, and we can probably work ourselves, off, work ourselves um, out from where we are on that map. So I went to the reception, explained to the lady who wondered why a man would be out in the middle of, and I said, look, I know I'm here. Let's get the map. Let's try and find his way home. And painstakingly, we worked out where his hotel was. 
Well, we thought we did, but we were confident. And so anyway, we sa I said to him, I've got some good news for you. I think I know where your hotel is. The bad news is it's 11 blocks away. Now, that wouldn't have seemed bad because I would have pulled out my wallet and said, let's get a cab and take you home. But I gave my briefcase to my wife. And so it was both of us on the side of the road having to walk. And he, he was an older man and he'd already been walking for hours and he had 11 more blocks to get, to get, get home. I said, let's just walk slowly together and we'll eventually get there. And as we journeyed, he looked at me and he said, why would you... Why would you do this? Why would you walk me home? And I thought, well, here's, a, here's, a, here's an opportunity to, to try out my faith. And I said, Hebrews 13. <laughs> I said, because sometimes when we show hospitality or care to a stranger, the Bible says that in doing so, we're actually um, entertaining angels or messengers of God. And he looked at me shocked. And I was like, oh, we'll probably start a little bit deep on the theology there just to... <laughs> This guy's thinking I'm trapped with him for 11 blocks. <laughs> but um, he said to me, look to me, he said, you don't know how much I believe that. Because you see, today is the first day of my retirement. He said, I've been a Presbyterian minister for 50 years. <laughs> 50 years. And it, was, and, it, and it was amazing for me to be able to do that. And so this was the first time he had been out of his country, no, out of his town, and 30 of the dear old saints in his congregation had paid for him to have a ticket to go overseas as part of a bus tour um, for his retirement gift. They also wanted to come on that 30 with him on the re retirement gift, so there he was travelling with 30 older dears. But in here is it, here is a Christian man committed to the faith who understands the promises of God, who understands that externally that he's in a situation and he trusts in a God that will provide for his external needs. Maturity and faith, etc. And God came through for him, though I did remind him not to do it again. And so this is a very much still that external view. And this is where, where John goes to say, hey, Christian, yeah, got that. God with us, God who provides, God who's external, your hiding place, your refuge, your stronghold, all of those things, God who shows up, rock of ages, got all that. But that's only part of the Christian message. There's more. And so we read then in the next piece of John, you dear children, there he is, favourite uncle, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Oh. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognise the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It is not just an external issue that we're dealing with. It is an internal one, an identity problem. Our worldview not, world not only shapes the way that we see the external world, but it shapes the way we see the internal world for us. And for many of us who are Christians, who've known God a long time, we go into the world knowing that our salvation is secure, no matter what happens, that one day we will be with God. So that we, when we face difficulties of this world, which may, may be 
jobs, it may be relationship issues, etc. Yep, yep, we can deal with that. That's fine because we have this God who we know is with us and will be with us for eternity. But the greater fears that, that this passage speaks of are not external ones. They're internal ones and we all, all of us have them. Fears of rejection, fears of shame, loneliness, self-loathing, not being good enough, feeling damaged, abandoned or broken. And all of us have that inside. That for many of us is a scary world to consider when we take the time or we have moments to ourselves and we look in and we see that that is the, the, the space that is occupying part of us inside. And it's me and it's you, it's all of us. We have that world inside of us. The way that we look at ourselves is often shattered and broken. And we hold on to past hurts and insecurities and sin, and it ruins the lives of ourselves right now as we dwell and we're, we're captured by that, that, that identity of self. But it also flows out, not just from, not, doesn't just flow one way internally inside of us, but it flows out into the relationships and the um, people around us. We will do a great deal to hold on to those past hurts and identities. I want to tell you a story. This is where I worked when I was in Berlin. This is the Villa Amelienhof. It was built in about the 1800s, built by a wealthy family. That's their house. Um, and as you can see, there's some little windows downstairs. That's where the servants did all the preparations, etc. downstairs. Have a look at the thickness of those walls. Blocks. The heights of the ceiling, 13 feet. Um, the doors, 11 foot high. The thickness of the doors were about two or three inches thick, made out of one solid panel of wood. The pins that held those doors to the, wood, uh, to the walls were about as thick as my finger. And so one day, I was coming back to work. Um, my job in there, I'd, I was in working in an office in the back of a, a long hallway. So I would come to work and I'd go to a hallway, my office was at the end. As I went down that hallway, onto the left-hand side was a change room um, for, for the building and for the staff. My job at the end of the day was to lock my office door, lock that hallway door, and then go home. That was part of my responsibility. So when I came in that morning, I was going to do the reverse. Unlock the hallway door, go into, unlock my office. Sitting on the floor, cradling a broken door, was a staff member. Remember the door I just painted to you? I said to this man, uh, what happened? He said, oh, it was dark when I came into work this morning and I walked into the door. You walked into the door. This single piece of wood that was about two or three inches thick, 11 foot tall, held on to the wall by pins that were thicker than my finger, that somehow, because it was just a little bit dark, you walked into the door, and this massive door that has stood in place for over 200 years just fell off. Not only did it just fall off, it was shattered at its, at its hinges and lying on the floor. And I said to him, you're gonna have to tell me again. How did the door come off? And I'm thinking, I'm missing something here because you know, if I was to try and get kicked down that door, I would have struggled, I would have, I would have gone to hospital with leg injuries to try and do this. And so when it came out, he said to me, well, the problem was that I left my keys in my trouser pocket. Okay, 
that that's a fair, reasonable problem. He said, uh, I said, but why didn't you just call your wife and she could come pick you up or bring the spare set of keys, etc. that was there. And he said, I didn't want her to know what I was doing. And I said, all right, why is that? And the bottom line was, he was having an affair. And so the game was up if he couldn't get home, get changed back into his work clothes, get the key, come home and be this outward, externally lovely person that he was who turned up for dinner each night. He was holding on to that internal, all of that hurt and brokenness and struggle inside of him, and he was willing to hide it and to perpetuate that on the inside. He must have propelled himself at that door. I mean, I don't even know how it's humanly possible, but the fear and, and, the, and the, the, the loathing and the, the concern that he was holding on and, and, and his whole identity was formed at, that he would rather propel himself at this ancient door and break it down than confront the reality and the truth of the identity of who he was inside. And that's for many of us. Many of us will go to great lengths to hold on to this identity or this, this internal person that, that is there. And there is a, a brokenness. But the Bible tells us that it's nothing that actually we can do by ourselves to help us out of that broken identity. No amount of money, no striving, no, 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 no acts of giving or service, etc., can do that. And the Bible tells us very clearly that there is only one way that we can actually deal with the issues and the brokenness internally. And that is to realise that by ourselves, we can't. And the picture that's behind me is there of a hand that is drowning and reaching up. It's not above water. It's there and says, in my own efforts, in my own circumstance, I can't. I can't fix that brokenness. I can't deal with that internal worldview or that internal perspective that, that's taking place. And I need to be rescued by somebody who can. And John says, this is the heart of the matter that I'm trying to get you to think about. So we turn our attention back to John and he says this. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God, does love not love, does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And we see this change that takes place as to say that there is a recognition that there is a God who's not just worried about what happens in our external world, but more than anything else, he's worried about what's happening in our internal world. And Paul writes this then as a, as a consequence in his book. I have been crucified with Christ and I'm no longer, uh, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. And this is the good news. 
And you would hope John would get the good news because he spent a whole gospel writing on it. But there summarised is that, is that God died for me. He lived a life I could not live. He paid a debt I could not pay. And in doing so, he broke the power of sin and brokenness in my life. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I've been singing that all week. I'm gonna have to admit that to you. My identity is now found in him. It is no longer God with us externally, but God in us. And that is profound for some people who are Christians here today, is that you may know God, you may be secure of your destiny, but it is that internal world where he's now living and shaping that internal view of self. And he promises that in the end, the work that he's doing in terms of that internal state, he's going to bring to full completion when he returns again. John goes on to say, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever, loves is, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one whose fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he loved us first. And that is the gospel. John takes them right back and he says to them, this is the heart of it. Why do you need to believe that Jesus died, lived a life, life, a sinless life, died for our sins and was resurrected again because God did that for us and the power that he had over death is the same power by his Holy Spirit that he now lives in us, through us. And in the Old Testament where they used to go to the temple to go and see God, we are now all living temples of the risen God. And the problems and the struggles that we face in the world are real. But the ones that are internal are even greater. The ones that are internal, because they shape our worldview, the way we see everything. They shape our interactions and our relationships and what God has for us. As I was preparing, this image came to mind for me that that I want to share, and maybe this relates to you, is that sometimes when as Christians, we know that God loves us and we know that, that there is an eternity waiting for us. But when something goes wrong in our lives, we open up this little box and I pictured going into my bedroom and putting a little box on my bed and very gently opening that box and taking out every hurt, every disappointment, every discouragement, every lie that was ever spoken about me, every sin that I'd ever done, every problem and circumstance about me and my identity and laying them out. But not just laying them out, kind of reflecting on them and, 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 and holding on to them and seeing that they were mine. That somehow that these, 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 these broken things that re- reflected my identity were, was the thing that, that was the, the true part of me. And we can do that. When the world gets tough and things come against us, the identity that we grab hold of is the one that we have curated for ourselves. 
Like a great museum curator, I've got all these bits and pieces I still hang on to and I hold on to. And when push comes to shove and my identity is questioned, they're the ones I get out again and again. And they've become precious to me. And I won't let them go. And they're mine. And I know how many are in there. And I know when I got them and I know when they, who gave them to me. But Jesus says, that old identity is now dead. It is gone. The only person hanging on to it is me. And he says, when you accept me, this is not some external thing that you know with your head, but it's something that you've now received in your heart. That that, that old person, that old identity is dead, that I'm now a new creation, no more in condemnation, and that I take on the image of God, his likeness. And what he challenges me to say is that in what, if you want to know what perfect love is, you can know the love of God and that he's this external part to your life, but if you want to know his perfect love, there's an internal journey that needs to take place. And that internal journey, uh, journey is about identity. As a Christian who understands the reality of who Christ is, my identity is in Christ. My image is in Christ. My meaning is found in Christ. My wholeness is found in Christ. My purpose is found in Christ. And my hope is found in Christ. And as we go out into this week, this is going to be the hardest thing to do. Because the world and all of our phones and all the media says it's all about the external. The media says and the world will say to you, it's all about your past. You are the sum total of all that you have ever done or ever experienced. And John reminds us that that's a lie. And this was even being said to Christians only a couple of decades after Christ died. Some of them were there when Jesus walked the earth. That their image is now found in Christ. He doesn't just live with them, he lives in them and through them. And so as we go into, the, into this week, I'm praying that by the Holy Spirit that you're going to be impacted by the fact that, that the Holy Spirit says, that's a lie, this is truth. Now, I'd like to pray for you. Oh, look, we've got somebody up on the piano. Because what happens then is that if we aren't living in that truth, if our identity is not found in that, it flows out into the rest of the world around us. If our identity is held on to the brokenness and the difficulties and the struggles of what we've had and not in the life and the love and the truth of Christ, it becomes very difficult to live out of that. It is a heavy burden to carry that box around every day. And so when we release it, the Bible says to us that we are to love one another as we love ourselves. But for some of us, the great challenge is, do we actually love ourselves? And a self that is formed and shaped on the image of Christ is one that can love and love well. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father God, I just feel compelled that, that for some time, this is a, a moment for some in this room who uh, may have never heard the fact that there is a God who loves them. Doesn't just want to be with them, but wants to indwell not just a God who's sitting on the sidelines, but a God who entered into history, who lived a perfect life, who died a life on a, died on the cross to forgive us our sins 
and now um, through his power has overcome death, lives in us and through us and is reconciling us with God the Father that we may spend eternity with him. If that's anyone in this room, Lord God, I just pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would just touch their hearts now. Though now you're real, that you are drawing them near to you. If that's you in the room with every head bowed and, and every eye closed, if you, you want to just raise a hand, if that's you and that's something that's, that's in, that you've just heard for the first time, I'd love to just pray particularly for you. Just put it up and put it straight down. Thank you. Thank you. Father God, I just pray for those people who have um, sensed you're pulling upon their heart, you're drawing near to them, Lord God, that they would know you better. They would know that you love them, you died for them, and that, that you are not only concerned with their external world of what they're experiencing, but you're, you're, you're concerned with that internal world. Father, I pray for my dear friends, my dear brothers and sisters here also, who have known God a while. Some have known God for decades, but somehow they've, they've viewpoint has moved, has gone somewhere. They're, they're sitting around another campfire that's telling a different story, whether it be technology or people in their lives, etc. Lord God, that are dominating their identity. Father, I'd pray for those people that you would help them to let go of that box, that they would stop rehearsing the brokenness and the difficulties of their lives. And once and for all, they would open their hands and let that go. Father, may our identity be found in You. You're a loving God. You're a God who, who is interested in every aspect of our lives. You're a good God. You give perfect love. And when the world wants to push that identity away by Your Holy Spirit, would You help us to grasp back onto that identity that is found in You? That we might know what perfect love is that casts out all fears, both external and internal. And may each day we may get to know you better and live out from a place of love to a broken and fallen world that desperately needs to hear about a God who loves and saves. May we live it out first in our own lives that we may be able to demonstrate it and show it to those around us. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.